Join us at Film Society of Lincoln Center on Thursday, April 4th, for a film comment free talk with director Claire Denis and actor Robert Pattinson from the singular new film High Life. For more information about this special event, visit filmlink.org. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, with features on Claire Denis' High Life, Alex Ross Perry's Her Smell, Who Bows an Elephant Sitting Still, reviews of new, forthcoming, and streaming releases, and much more. Subscribe today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rapold, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment. This week marks the release of Mike Lee's new film, Peterloo, which tells the story of the 1819 protest for voting rights in Manchester, England, and its brutal suppression. It's a good occasion to talk about an always vital subject, democracy, and how it appears on screen, as a process, as a symbol, as a set of common values. For this episode, I was joined by Film Comment contributing editor Amy Talbin and Fordham University professor Shani Enelow, who wrote the review of Peterloo in our March-April issue. We took the opportunity to weave together several different movies and reflect on how the ideas and the practices of democracy manifest in them. The movies included Jordan Peele's Us, Frank Capra's films for Hollywood and the U.S. government, the unassuming but powerful documentary United Skates, and the work of the late Agnes Varda and Frederick Wiseman. Let's go to the conversation. Hello, welcome to the Film Comment podcast. My name is Nick Rapold. I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment, and this is our podcast on democracy on screen. Uh, This, I guess, is basically connected to the release of Peterloo, uh, a new Mike Lee film uh, that originally was going to come out last fall, and then moved and it's it's a movie that's about a, a quashed protest in it's mid 19th century mid 19th early early 19th century and it kind of you know talking about it's spun out into this idea of what does democracy look like in the in movies and so uh, I thought we'd have a podcast about it also just last week us Jordan Peele's us came out and that's another movie that kind of figures America and democratic America in, in a certain way. For this discussion, I'm very pleased to be joined by... Shawnee Anilo, um, author of uh, Method Acting and Its Discontents and a writer and critic. Amy Talbin, who writes for Film Comment and Art Forum. And it's actually a particularly sad day that we happen to be starting this, uh, this discussion um, because today's Friday and Agnes Varda passed away or news came from of her passing away. Um, but Amy, you... you, you said that it's, it's, you know, she's actually a, a person whose work was always infused with a certain idea of democracy, was always musing on it and reflecting on it. Yeah, I even think I remember at some point talking to her about reading de Tocqueville's Democracy in America. Oh, wow. Uh, but she was a political person from the get-go, and all her films mm-hmm. are about, they're really about France and democracy, but that's from uh, La Poincourt, which was her very first feature, which mm-hmm. was about how would these people in this town figure out their relationship to these fishing rules that had been imposed to them right. and on them and ha- was destroying their livelihood and yeah. how would they vote this? And so from the very beginning, her yeah. work was 
very clearly about that. Yeah, I I actually kind of forgot that that was <laughs> that, that that was part of this the key to the story there. That is that is interesting. I mean, I almost wonder if that's part of why that film didn't didn't register in in the kind of you know, accounts of, of that French film history, you know, because... Well, it didn't register, you know, I mean, she said so recently. Yeah. One, because she was a woman. Yeah. Two, she's never made a film. And no one had made, directed a film in France that mm. hadn't come up through the film schools and then the apprenticeships right. to, uh, in the various guilds. Mm. She was the first person who went out and did that in the sound era. Yeah. who wasn't associated with an avant-garde either. Yeah. And I mean, and it's, it's, it's interesting how it makes me think a little of La Terra Trema for some reason, the, 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 the sort of locale of it and how or whether it taps into a bit of a neorealist impulse. Um, but then thinking like going through the, the rest of her career, she also is very keyed into how the visual works in like a modern democracy and that people have to be visible and seen for them to register in, in, yeah. in, the, in the world. Um, um, and that amazing film she made on the Rue de Guerre where she lives, which is called oh, yeah. Rue de Guerre, which is about all these people on the street. And somehow you realize that they all have different political positions and... Mm -hmm. um, and the story of making that film was so amazing. She, she had just had, uh, Rosalie had just been born, her daughter, and she didn't want to leave her. So she had engineered a long, this was early, this was in the early 90s, a long cable um, from the DP who was on the Super 16 camera or whatever to where she would have a video feed in that alley between her house that was so amazing so she wouldn't have to leave her baby or take the baby out in the cold <laughs> during the shoot. Wow. She was something. She yeah. was something. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. So, I mean, I don't, I, I, that sort of leads us maybe a little bit into, I don't know, I mean, Amy, you were going to maybe talk about uh, films of Agnieszka Holland. I, I think you said that that was going to lead out of Agnes Varda? Or? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I just thought, uh, yeah. maybe it's because I've been writing about the two of them for Criterion, oh, right. yeah, but yeah, yeah. I had put them together oh, in yeah. my head yeah. as these women who are, have very, very strong feminist positions, mm -hmm. but that's only part of a much broader politics that is about democracy. And of course, Agnieszka's subject from the beginning has been the failure of democracy from the time that Europe made clear that the two strongest political structures were fascism and uh, totalitarianism in mm. the Soviet Union. Mm. And even when there would be these temporary thaws and attempts at democracy, they always failed. Mm. And that's right up to the present day with her most recent film, Spore, mm -hmm. which, I mean, Spore is about this woman who is absolutely determined to do this in a democratic way. She's determined there are rules and there are rules about hunting and she wants them followed mm -hmm. and they're not even following them and she thinks they're insane, so she's angry anyway. And she's up against this totally corrupt, patriarchal, small town, 
totalitarian mentality, mm. and that's in the present day. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's well, it's interesting that it's it's this kind of persistence in microcosm. Like even when the over, over larger system is, it's it's like the the previous non democratic system became custom. <laughs> so even if it's no longer law, even if there's like nominally supposed to be like a democratic tradition, mm-hmm. that's what's become the the custom in a way. It also, I mean, it also seems to be the case, right, that there's something about democracy in cinema. And I, I think I, I'm thinking more of fictional films, um, but maybe also in, in, in documentaries, where it becomes most visible in contrast to its others, right, to totalitarianism mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or fascism, you know, where there's there's something about whatever democracy is, right, and the fact that we can't very easily define it is maybe part of what this is all about, you know, but that we can sort of see it in, you know, um, set out against what we know it isn't, which is, you know, either a kind of, um, you know, uh, coerced um, conformism or demagoguery, you know, or a kind of like fascist exclusionary politics. I think that it's kind of interesting that it's often when it's set against what we want to construe as its opposite, that it becomes most most visible. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost, I mean, how are you going to picture a democracy how are you going to picture people you know one person one vote you know crowd scenes have never really been a great you know drivers for for a narrative it's you have to have something that's undermining it and then that leads you to intrigue which leads you to conflict which leads you to some kind of drama or the paranoia paranoia of a paranoid narrative like invasion of the body snatchers i think you mentioned um, before we were talking um or yeah. all of film noir or all- yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah right yeah that's <laughs> uh yeah but that's i mean that's a period where well, i mean all over the place there was there was a, i mean some sort of imagining and reimagining and very anxious reimagining of, of democracy in, in world war ii I, I i mean you know i mean frank capra always gets kind of is, is still it, it for me it's fascinating that he made you know movies like uh, you know, I mean, the the, the the movies about Washington, but also had a parallel track of actually making propaganda, the Why We Fight series, mm-hmm. um, which are still surprising to me to 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 see them now because uh, just, just some of the vocabulary I didn't really realize was the the way people were counter counterpointing democracy with you know master slave approach to 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 government, which is also interesting because the U.S. you know was maybe. Seven years out of an incomplete ending of slavery at that point, so there's an especial anxiety going on there. Um, but I, I don't know. Well, I think that if you look at Hollywood studio films, Hollywood from from the beginning was invested, probably because all these people were immigrants, right, yeah. and they were others. They were so invested in standing up for democracy, and mm-hmm. every film had to stand up for democracy. Yeah. And the only way you could escape it is if you made very, very period love stories. Right. You know, have nothing about that. Right. But it was like that was an escape, and you see it in absolutely every Hollywood film. There is this moment where someone goes into a store and they talk about democracy. I mean, <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, and, and then I always think of, I, I think I even talked about this recently, it always comes to mind, but then you, you think of some, what some of the expats made, like Fritz Lang's first film was Fury, which is kind of, you know, he comes to America and he, that's what he sees, you know, mm -hmm. first, which is kind of a complete breakdown, mob mentality, the lynch mob specifically. Yeah, not exactly the most positive portrayal. Um, but democracy wins. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Fritz Lang didn't want democracy right. to win in that film, but it had to. <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah. But I, I mean, I wonder if we can, um, I mean, speaking of like historical films, that, that's, that's what kind of um, brings us to Peterloo. And, and, you know, when Mike Lee talks about Peterloo or about, you know, he, he's, he definitely says like, oh, I don't want this to be like point to point respond to the present, but it's almost impossible not, not to think about it um, as, as something being born out of the, the current moment. Yeah, Peterloo opens, I don't know if it's opening today or, or not today. Not today. It's next it's in a couple of weeks. And yeah, this this is a movie which which is I mean this the story has the outlines like of a kind of could just be this historical epic, you know, like people gather together and they, they want to protest and then the protest is, is quashed. I mean it's you know, through this terrible massacre and evil aristocrats and evil, you know, jurymen and officials. Um, but I, for me, one of the most striking things about it is the perverse structure to it, you know, just that it, it it's it starts off in the Battle of Waterloo, right? Okay. And with the with a just a completely lost, uh, he's a drummer boy or something, right? Yeah. And bugler, bugler, right? <laughs> a bugler, and that's the opening of it. Just complete, you know, just destruction. And then the just the, the then the, the unjust conditions that they they're, they're living in in Manchester, the labor conditions, and then you have like a two-hour chunk of film, which is all about the gathering of that, and then. The ending is very abrupt, and I—I I, I mean, I say perverse like in a good way. Like it kind of has to be hurt. The—the <laughs> the ending has to hurt and be just as messy in a different way as like the prolonged middle part is. I don't know. That was what struck me about it. I—I I mean, I've seen it twice, uh -huh. um, and I went with different people each time. Mm -hmm. So I think it's and very, very, very smart people. And I think it's worth, this was not my reaction, but I think it's mm -hmm. worth saying, well, what's uncompromising about the film and has to do with his feelings about democracy and showing that this is a collective effort. Mm -hmm. And people really object to the fact that there is no standout hero yes. or heroine. Mm -hmm. right. And there are so many characters and because it's a period film and there's a lot of facial hair and a lot of costumes that look exactly the same, except for the bugler who is red from beginning to the end, his right. jacket, people actually didn't know, who, were very troubled about, I don't understand who is who. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I think that absolutely is a conscious choice on his part. Mm -hmm. And um, I totally agree. That... Yeah. It had to be like that, yeah. but it has cost the film friends. Yeah. You know? I mean, that it's a really interesting, you know, you, you brought up the question of how one does represent democracy on screen, um, yeah. given the traditionally non-cinematic qualities of the crowd or the or yeah. or the mass or you know the fact that that doesn't conform to typical narrative 
tropes um, or structures, right? The mm-hmm. the um, so you know one option, which is I guess the the option of most traditional Hollywood films, right, is to sort of impose a kind of pseudo melodramatic structure on whatever you're going to say, where there is clearly a hero, the hero for democracy, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's someone or something that is impeding that hero's progress to right. realize, you know, this democracy, which is always sort of construed in this kind of pseudo-religious way, right? Mm-hmm. This would be, oh. you know, this is, this, right. um, of, we believe in democracy, right? Oh, is yeah, sort of the conclusion. Um, whereas I, I completely agree with you. I mean, you know, th- that's what I found really amazing about Peter Liu was the refusal to do that. Mm-hmm. The refusal to, you know, to, to impose that kind of structure. Although I guess what I, what I found maybe less, maybe not entirely successful was there was still remnants of that melodramatic structure within mm-hmm. the family, you know, the, the, um, the, the, dom- the domestic narrative of the family mm-hmm. and the, the villainous magistrates who were just so villainous, <laughs> you know, it's like we couldn't entirely, I wish he had entirely done without that kind of, um, uh, you know, moral clarity, I guess. Or I I wish we could have stayed in that zone of the, um, you know, the, 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 the confusing, ambiguous, um, uh, competing visions of that middle section Hmm. and the rhetoric. Um, Yeah. That the villainous people are villainous. Right. I mean, I didn't right. mind the magistrates. They are villainous, and he really got them, and I didn't have to tell one from the other. I thought the royals were a bit over the top. Yeah. Um, but maybe not so much when you look at um, our president on TV. No more grotesque than Yeah. That's uh, a good point. That. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, when I interviewed him, I asked him point point blank or he like finished the sentence for me I was like weren't the royals a bit and he said caricature <laughs> and I was like well you know and, and you know it's basically like you know they there were they were pretty ri- outrageous and ridiculous at the same time and what how else could you describe our current you know commander-in-chief you know um, I, I mean I really can't think of another filmmaker who would have the courage to make that kind of structure today mm. and not find, you know, one star performance. I mean, he hasn't done this before. Right. Um, He always has very big performances that there could be five or six of them, but there is someone you follow through his films. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I just think it was, is enormously courageous. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. And it's also for, for for you know for him as a filmmaker yeah he hasn't done that but he he's he's tried to represent and represented very well some of the things he's representing in this film so he's just choosing an entirely different way which is also um kind of um you know it's the sort of thing i don't know i, I won't say it's something about it's like vaguely godardian just the sense of like let's completely like throw out what we j- just did and pick some other entirely entirely different set of, of ways of, of representation and approaching things um but I, uh, I mean, and yeah, and it's and it's also you know the dialogue. I know what you mean a bit about the dialogue, though, in terms of the melodramatic aspect. I mean, I, I oh, just the feeling that people are a bit, you know, announcing their states and that kind of thing, and so it can kind of have like a a, a primer that's come to life, you know, where 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 
you know, the, the, the factory workers are, I don't know what I'm supposed just to do. Just in the family, though. Yeah, I mean, that's what I, that, yeah. and, and maybe, I mean, there's, there's something in that, that, that I'm, that I didn't entirely grasp, you know, as, as, as I'm listening to you both talk about it, I'm wondering if that perhaps is the point, right? The, the, um, you know, rhetorical complexity of the speeches, which, you know, of course it was partially just sounded complex because I didn't always know exactly what political struggle right. or labor struggle they were talking about. But also, you know, the the way that they were crafted in in this, you know, this rhetorical style that we have totally lost, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that was, of course, a long tradition of, of political performance. You know, the way that that is contrasted to the, you know, kind of low-key domestic world of the family, you know, maybe that actually is, maybe those are setting those are supposed to set each other off in a way that Mm. uh that illuminates both um but it was kind of interesting that there were so many meetings where people would say i don't know what she's talking about what she's talking about i love that yeah i love that i love (laughs) that yeah exactly i mean and that's what i i what i especially was fascinated by in this film was the representation of spectatorship the people Mm. watching and listening you know it was so much about the performance but it was equally about you know what happens when you are being or not being persuaded right like what's the Mm -hmm. process and the experience of listening to persuasive speech and you know sometimes you don't understand (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah which is great because I mean that 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 makes it clear, right? You know, Mike Mike Lee doesn't think he's he's staging like he's not heroizing the speech. You know, it's not like this is working. See, because right, immediately right. someone tells what the hell are you saying? You know, I mean, if it were right. done differently, it would be like it would be like you know something. Um, what is the movie? Um, I can't remember the, something happened on the way to the forum. You know, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, which actually is a movie that I I think is pretty interesting. I like, very yeah, it's yeah. because I, I will, I'll never forget when. Is it, who's is it? Zero still playing a slave or someone who goes to the market and tries to ask someone a question and they don't even answer. They just start hitting him. And I thought <laughs> that is like one of the best portrayals of like actual like class behavior <laughs> that I that I've seen in the middle of a kind of goofy um, sequence. Um, but yeah, like this could have been comedy when someone says, "I don't know what's going on." Um, but yeah, it's just the mechanism working or not working. But um, I mean, it has to be said that this is a film about failure. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, in the yeah. end, it it won't be after the fact, but this is the first attempt for these uh, people who work these terrible hours at the loom to yeah. stand up and say, uh, yeah, we should have a vote. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it will be years before. Yeah. You know, in Britain, most people have no idea what Peterloo is. I mean, this was really obscure, like the first uprising in... Uh, um, you know, textile industry <laughs> to right. get the vote yeah. in the House of Commons. Yeah. What was that? Was there even a House of Commons there then? Yeah. I mean, I I don't know this. Yeah, I don't know. That's myself, a point yeah. the film is making. Are we really talking about how the House of Commons has to be established because there's only a House of Lords? Oh yeah, I'm very I'm sure. unclear about that. Yeah, I don't. I don't no, know. No, I think there was a House of Commons. Yeah. but, but not Manchester every had, had it. Had it. Yeah. Had oh a right, right. So they were just in it. Okay, they were not represented. They were not represented. From the very beginning, when you see that bugler on the field where all these people have just been cannon fodder, he's so confused. I mean, 
everyone is so confused. They have no idea what's going on. And he's shell-shocked, and he finds his way home, and then terrible things happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which also feels kind of like entirely accurate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, so much of history... (laughs) This is a quotable. So much of history, I just imagine, like, it was just the experience of just being in, like, a howling wilderness of society, more or less. Yeah. You know, with that, without understanding your representation or even knowing what representation or democracy would mean. Yeah. And I guess the, I mean, maybe the point is that that is the experience of democracy, right? Not being sure oh. where you're going, uh-huh. <laughs> right? Having to muddle it out with yeah. a group of people you're different from, you know, and yeah. have different uh, ideas from and experiences from, and yeah. that inevitably leads to confusion and misunderstanding and contradiction. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, sorry, the film ahead. that's kind of the opposite of this and is also about a group is uh, Peter Watkins' um, The Paris Commune. Oh, right? yeah. Uh huh. Um, where everyone is so super intelligent <laughs> and they've been studying their characters in the library for years and then they come in, they bring in their characters yeah. and they have uh, uh, equipment from the future centuries yeah. to use. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't help think that Mike Lee wanted to do the opposite of The Paris Commune. Mm-hmm. And The Paris Commune is a really compelling movie, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of some, what, six hours, seven hours? Yeah, yeah. About that. And, and you, is, you, I think you said you, you teach that movie, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. And um, at first, people have the same experience that I had the first time I saw it. I said, I'm very busy, I'll stay for an hour. And then, <laughs> I'm very busy. I'll stay for another hour. Yeah. I stay yeah. have gotten me out of there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. He, I, I, yeah. When I, I'm sorry, I keep quoting, but I asked him about that. He was like just completely effusive about Peter Peter Watkins. Mm. Mike, Mike Lee was, but I didn't ask the question that, that is implicit he was there. Enthusiastic about Peter Watkins. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. But but it is interesting. I should have asked like. Where did this movie fit in, you know, related to that? Join us at Film Society of Lincoln Center on Thursday, April 4th at 5.30 p.m. for a film comment free talk with director Claire Denis and star Robert Pattinson from the singular new film High Life. Tickets to this free event will be distributed at the Eleanor Boonin Monroe Theater box office on a first-come, first-served basis starting at 4.30 p.m. on April 4th. For more information, visit filmlink.org. We hope to see you there for what's sure to be a stellar conversation. The new issue of Film Comment is out now, with features on Claire Denis' High Life, Alex Ross Perry's Her Smell, Christian Petzl's Transit, Laszlo Nemesh's Sunset, Jafar Panahi on the process of secretly making movies, plus the not-so-secret gay history of a cult film magazine. Also, read Ari Aster on The Last Temptation of Christ and reviews of Ashes Purist White, Peterloo, and more. Get your copy today at filmcomment.com. So well, so I mean, yeah, Peterloo, and they, you know, is is one movie that's that's out now, um, or will be out shortly. Um, but we also mentioned that Us is another movie that that came out recently, um, and just to kind of sketch out where that might fit in in our our idea of democracy, because I realize we've kind of been jumping around a lot, uh, but democracy is confusing, so that's okay. <laughs> um, but Us is a movie. It's safe to talk about now. I think it's been out for a week. All bets are off. <laughs> uh, but, you know, next movie by um, directed by Jordan Peele, um, kind of 
more straightforward as, 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 a, as a horror movie, less of a horror drama, I guess I'd say. I don't know for what that's worth. And it's about a family, a kind of nuclear family that goes to a beach house um, and, and discovers uh, that there are, they have their doubles, their doppelgangers that suddenly appear in, in their house at one point. And you realize it's sort of connected to a backstory that the uh, opening sequence uh, describes. In the opening sequence as well, we have a close-up on a television <laughs> Uh, which, which has an ad. This this opening sequence is set in the 80s and it has an ad for Hands Across America, um, which for me as a, I don't know, semi-child of the 80s, watching that is, I mean, it's it's sort of in this pre-conscious realm for me that it's some sort of weird mythology that I thought, oh, that really happened? Oh, I it was some like fantasy thing in my head. I don't even know how to think about that. Um, and here, he I think he does just something absolutely brilliant in bringing that in and setting that. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then, you know, the movie, so this is a movie that in terms of democracy, I think plays upon the yeah, representation of democracy, the image of democracy, the spectacle or the illusion of democracy, um, and hands across America being the symbol of it somehow in action. But I don't know. I don't want to like analyze it to death before it's off the slab or on the slab. But but uh, Sean, you just you yeah. just saw it relatively recently. I just, saw it. I just yeah. saw it yesterday. Um, and I was very excited by the invitation to think of this as a film about democracy in particular. Yeah. And and then it led me down this rabbit hole um, of thinking about you know the other horror films that I would put uh, that that seem that it seems to be in some way alluding to uh, or or just in dialogue with um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers obviously oh, came yeah. to mind. But and then I was sort of went on a whole a whole kick of thinking about Cold War films um, mm. and you know representations of the threat of communism um, or totalitarianism totalitarian communism um, inside these films um, and how. You know what often happens in in those films, right? Like what what happens in the even in the 1978 invasion of the body snatchers is that um, the what ends up be becoming what, what what the film decides is the film the film decides that some that we can define what's human and it has to do with individual choice and it has to do with individual emotion, right? In that film, it's you know mm -hmm. emotion is sort of primary. So I, I guess I would say that you know I would put I would put that film and this whole group of films that I'm talking about, including Manchurian Candidate, you know, under the category of like humanist <laughs> democracy films, mm. right? Mm -hmm. um, whereas I think Jordan Peele's film is like an anti-humanist <laughs> or po huh. maybe maybe post-humanist <laughs> um, uh, democracy film, yeah. right? Where ultimately in the end, if I can semi-reveal oh, yeah. the twist i guess it's very good you've been, um, you've, you've been warned you've been warned right in in the end what we, you know what we discover of course is that you know what we may have what we always suspected right from the way that um, it had been set up but it's but it's driven home to us that these you know shadow double uh murderers are, you know, they, they, they are fully exchangeable for the people above in the sense that it is, they have just been, their, their state is, has been purely constructed by their environment. Right. Um, because uh, it's it's revealed that the um, the central character actually is sort of her own double, like or we learn that she was exchanged for her own double. So so I, I guess I see that as a kind of anti-humanist intervention. Hmm. That's an odd reading. <laughs> I mean, I, don't, I think yeah, I think it's an odd reading. Hmm. I'm not sure where humanism. It just seems to me to be a movie about the acceleration of economic dis 
difference in America. Mm. And the reason it starts in 86 with that, and it starts specifically in the Reagan era. And mm. it also starts not only with Hands Across America, but very soon <laughs> you see <laughs> under the title these cages with a single rabbit in each cage. Oh, yeah. uh -huh. And that shot expands so that you realize that this is some kind of huge laboratory right. where this behavioral and social economic experiment is going on mm -hmm. on the rabbits, uh, which is parallel to the experiment that's going on by... Um, having increasingly increasing numbers of economically disenfranchised people mm -hmm. who, I mean, the most important line is when, oh my God, that's the most remarkable actress I've ever seen in my life. Oh, Her performance is like nothing yeah. I've ever seen. And yeah. you say, I sat there and said, well, she could play Clytemnestra. She could play <laughs> Medea. And then I said, no, none of those parts are as good as this part uh -huh. that she has here. So yeah. the thing about it, it seems to me us is very, very simple in that way, that we all do have someone we know who would have been exactly like us, except they grew up in dire poverty and they aren't us, mm -hmm. uh, but they are Americans. And when mm -hmm. she says, we're Americans, <laughs> I just... Yeah. 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 It's amazing. I actually I mean I, I totally agree. I think the, the the only point that that I was I mean I agree with that reading. I think the point I was making is that in arguing that we're exchangeable for those people, right? The film says, you know, that we are that those people could be us, right? They're, if we had grown up in their right, circumstances exactly. and actually there is this switcheroo that happens exactly. where one where that little child is kidnapped exactly. mm -hmm. and she comes back and she doesn't seem to speak mm -hmm. and she doesn't seem to want to respond to everything because she's not her. Right. Right. And that's part of what I took to be the rabbit exper experiment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. I think, yeah, no, I, I think actually we're agreeing because the, what, what's different to me from invasion of the body snatchers, right. Is we are definitely not the pod people. Right. The pod people are, you know, destroy whatever is human about us. Whereas in this film, it's not so clear. Yeah, because they're yeah. Americans. The pod exactly, people are exactly. aliens. Exactly. Exactly. The invaders here are not aliens. Mm. Exactly. They are us. Yeah. I, I, I thought also what's so interesting is, is the just the physical like orientation of everyone, the, what who people are above and people who are below. This whole idea, I mean, also I love that they just basically go down like a subway escalator when they finally go into that world. Um, but that's that's something that's, I mean, it sort of reminded me of Metropolis a little bit. Um, you know, just the hordes that are below. I think they even have that kind of vocabulary in that movie um, with, you know, the, the people below, the people below or, below or something. Um, and that was also just interesting to me you know, it's just a very also is a very basic representation of what's repressed and, and kept kept under this whole experiment that's going on, but we're in denial after a while that it's been going on. That, that this idea of which I guess trickle down economics, you know, exactly. not exactly working, uh, whatever work or no, it is working. That's the thing. It's the thing where it's not working, but actually it's working the way you know some people would want it to be working. 
Um, and that's also like very, very vivid, but just sort of completely forgotten. And, and that's, you know, it's great to bring back the symbolism of Hands Across America and just real, recognize it as like this hollow signifier. Um, and then, know. of course, at the end, we yeah. have the new Hands Across America, which is this army in yeah. red. And you could think of it as the Bolshevik army, the red uh -huh. army, or you could think of it as the Trump army because they oh, all right. wear red too. Red staters. So it's that real, uh, yeah. you know, Freudian, every uh, um, metaphor has its inverse embedded in mm, it. Mm -hmm. That's why the film is so brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess I sort of did it in an injustice by saying it was like, you know, uh, I mean, because I mean, it's a movie that uh, it's 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 not as like instantly like solvable or soluble in, in the way that Get Out just has this uh, just like blindingly brilliant, you know, and and pre immediately present a kind of metaphor. But this one, uh, yeah, I think once you pull a string, it, it really starts coming out. And we were talking about before that it's a movie that maybe isn't always like terrifying. Like there are sh scare moments and shock moments, but there's just a ba for me at least there was just a baseline of un unsettlement. <laughs> throughout mm -hmm. that builds and builds and builds until by the end, I mean, it's a bit long, but I'm still really more tired than I should be. And it's because it's just been working at you, you know, um, we've managed not to talk about race <laughs> <laughs> somehow. Um, but that's also, yeah, in it. <laughs> yeah. I think very deliberately, this movie isn't about race, mm -hmm. except in the sense that there is a black family at the center of it, and the mm. white family is subordinated, mm -hmm. but otherwise race isn't an issue. It's that you have a black filmmaker who's now making a film about black experience, and they're upper middle class, and, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. <laughs> it's not so big a deal. And that's so talking about politics now, mm -hmm. You know, and are we going to uh, um, splinter into small groups about race is the problem or mm -hmm. women or gender is the problem or yeah. is it economics? And so I, I think it's really brilliant in that yeah. way. Yeah. Because um, there are a lot of films about democracy that are specifically about race, but I don't think this is one of them. Yeah. Well, now I'm curious, which I... It, or I don't know if you want to leave us yet or no, leave us yeah. behind. <laughs> I mean, I would be excited to keep talking about it, but we, oh, could, sure. also, we could also move on. Um, no, no, let's keep going then. But yeah. I mean, I think that I do think that there, you know, there's, there is something in so far that we're being asked to contemplate like a, a double, I mean, how, how do I want to put this? I'm not, I, I'm not actually sure I have a, a fully formed thought here, but you know, Lupita Nyong'o's brings with her the star text of 12 years a slave, right? She, she, you know, we, 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 I think, st you know, still, and, and, you know, she's such a virtuosic and versatile actor that I'm sure she will leave this behind. But I think that we still see that when we see her on screen. I don't think that this film is, has to do anything to bring that to the fore, but I think that we are thinking, you know, when we're thinking about an underclass underground who's, you know, kept in cages, like we are thinking about a history of slavery, even though in this film it's, mm. ex it's explicitly not a slavery based on race. Mm -hmm. 
No, I never, it's odd. I never did. I did think of what um, African-American intellectuals used to eat 10 years ago called the talented 10. Mm -hmm. She is... She comes from down under. She, she is the exchange. Um, but she becomes, because of uh, nurture, a member of the Talented Ten. And I did think that that's what, in terms of race, that peculiar position. And then his amazing story. Should I tell this story? Sure. About um, oh, yeah. <laughs> how... I went to Sarah Lawrence, but I went to Sarah Lawrence like 25 years before the director did. But when you come up from New York to Bronxville, there is a state at the Bronxville station, you go underground and you go through this really awful tunnel. And it's Bronxville. So this is us a community that's so rich and probably has never had any crime. So you're not really scared, but it's kind of icky. And so he had um, an experience where he said partly the movie came out of going through that tunnel and having the sense when he looked around that there was another him following him from the other end of that tunnel. And... And, and what he was talking about so obviously was what was he doing at Sarah Lawrence and all those kids that he went to school with in New York and lived in a community with were not at Sarah Lawrence. They were back um, and they were, in, they were going to be poor. You know, they were not going to be part of Key and Peele. They were never going to have that chance. And that kind of the guilt of the talented 10 is where I think this movie mm-hmm. comes from. Interesting. Mm. It is interesting. There's one, I mean, there's one thing that, and we don't have to talk about this for very long if that's not of interest, but, um, you know, I'm really interested in the way that both of these films use theater. Uh, and by that, I really mean, you know, um, embodied performance, you know, foregrounding embodied performance. And, I, you know, I, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I would bet that Jordan Peele has read Arto <laughs> because I kept thinking about, um, you know, in the whole, her, her whole monologue about, you know, being a double, I kept thinking about Arto's, you know, famous, every action has a shadow, which is its double. And it's all about liberating, you know, the double and the sh- bringing the shadows forward. I kept thinking about Arto, And then, you know, the scene where they, yes, Metropolis seems like, like a clear referent, but also, you know, it, it, reminded me so much of avant-garde theater and the, you know, the, the, that, that crazy scene where we see the underside, the shadow world of the Santa Cruz beach boardwalk, right. Where Mm. all their doubles Mm. are doing the same action, but it's just, um, it's, it's, it's just grotesque. It's just exaggerated enough to be horrifying. I mean, this is a, this is like a theater school exercise, you know, and that whole scene, I kept thinking about, you know, what a theater student would do. Um, And of course I was, I was thinking of this because of your article, Amy, and you're mentioning that it looked like the Sarah Lawrence theater building basement. (laughs) When they go down those stairs, um, before they get on the, or maybe it's after the escalator, I forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, there is a publicity shot of her too against the cin- the cinder block wall. And when I was at Sarah Lawrence, and when Jordan Peele was at Sarah Lawrence, and now it's a little bit different. 
there was a building for a theater, dance, and film called Reisinger Auditorium Building, mm -hmm. and all the dance studios and all the offices and all the places where the costumes were stored mm -hmm. and where you waited if you were going to be in a stage production were in this basement. And that place where they go to where the rabbits are running around loose <laughs> looks exactly like the studio <laughs> in that basement. So that's bizarre. Yeah. And yeah, I'm sure he, he was Sarah Lawrence theater student. He knows our He toe. knows our yeah. toe, right? <laughs> You'd think so. <laughs> yeah. Interesting, yeah. yeah. And First, then, of course, it's yeah. about ballet, too. It's about dance, right? I mean, so. Well, it's about Black Swan. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh -huh. <laughs> and it's about Black Swan, right? Interesting, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. I What I really think is so brilliant about the movie, and a lot of people think it's a problem that he is so that the references are just coming, you know, mm -hmm. endlessly and that he's going to be dependent on that. But what I thought about that is, you know, we go to horror films or we fetishize horror films as a way of inoculating ourselves, you know, as substitutes and shields against real horror. Mm -hmm. So this is a film where everyone is seeped in this, you know, constantly, and it doesn't protect them. Right. Because when it really happens and they are really invaded, all their knowledge of The Shining and Chud and all <laughs> of that stuff doesn't help at all. Right. And that's what I thought was so great. Yeah, about the movie. that's that's true. Yeah, no, no amount. Yeah, none of the the culture will prepare you <laughs> for, for for the reality. Yeah, um, yeah. Just picking up on the, on the theater thing as as well. Uh, when when her double first appears and they first come in the house, it's such a theatrical entrance. It's yes. incredible. Yes. I mean, you know, he shoots it like she sort of comes down this like little. Sort of the den area, and yes. then does a theatrical kind of turn, mm -hmm. gets up, turns around, and then mm -hmm. you know she might as well be there to deliver a speech, which she is. Uh, but yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. of course, Lupita Nyong'o is a you know trained theater actor and yeah. is very good at you know at making those moments feel um, you know totally justified rather than you know stagey and arbitrary. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I'm, I'm trying to. I'm I'm, I'm going to fail at making any sort of segue here, but. Yeah, I mean, this is this is it's it's a film that you know, uh, as as a horror. So we we've had Peter Lou as a historical drama, and now now us, which we can I, I don't I guess as a horror film, but just as skillful as Get Out, just to be clear. Um, but uh, Amy asked asked me to watch another movie, which I thought was kind of just as interesting as like a very flexible metaphorical film about democracy. Uh, also very much about embodiment. And it's a documentary, I said that, it's a documentary, United Skates. And uh, I don't know, do you want to tell a bit about it? About it or? Well, it's a documentary by Diana Winkler and Tina Brown. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's a first film for both of them. Mm -hmm. And they are very interested in roller skating mm -hmm. and what happened to roller rinks in America, and they go all across the country looking at roller rinks as they fail. Mm -hmm. and, the inter and, and this movie is really about race and democracy because the way they show roller skating is, yes, there are stars 
in these rinks, and the stars skate very specifically to their uh, uh, regions of the country, and then there's competitive skating where all the stars come together. But the other half of the population of the roller rinks are just families who come to the roller rinks regularly. And what starts happening is that uh, it is very clear that the white owners and the white skaters do not want to share the space with people of color, uh, African-Americans and Latinos. And so they start laying down rules about the kind of music that can be played. And there are different kinds of skates with different size wheels mm -hmm. and prohibiting these wheels except for six hours on one unpopular night of the year. Yeah. And this goes on and on. And there is this fight to be able to skate. Yeah. And finally there um and and finally there or there are two very positive things, which is there's a roller rink started by uh, an African American entrepreneur that actually lasts for about five years and mm -hmm. finally it goes bankrupt. Right. And then there is this amazing battle of the rinks in LA, which is really mm -hmm. one rink is the territory of the Bloods and mm -hmm. one rink is the territory of the Crips. And when one of those rinks gets shut down, the other gang lets the gang that no longer has a rink come to their rink and mm -hmm. they declare a truce <laughs> for the time they're skating and in the parking lot after. Yeah. I mean, it is just an amazing film. Yeah, it and and it's 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 a film that kind of overcomes what might sound like I don't know, like like a premise, like oh, the, the rinks are are failing, and, and but it just becomes something so much more. It the rinks become this stage where all the tensions and injustices and hopes of America are being played out, um, and and mirroring everything that's happening in, in real life. Uh, you know, well, it is real life, <laughs> but everything that's happening, you know, politically for and democratically, you know, the regulations that they enforce to enforce segregation, but not in name, you know, that, for example, and, you know, how it emphasizes difference rather than celebrating it, by the way, they're keeping people out and, and segregating their, their attendees. Um, and then, you know, speaking of embodiment, it's, it's just a movie where it's punctuated by these sequences where, of people just skating with the most glorious oh, and freeing feel. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, I remember when the Roxy, the roller rink on uh -huh. 18th Street uh -huh. uh, in Chelsea closed. Uh -huh. And that's something else. I mean, it's, it is in the film about gender mm -hmm. because the Roxy was just this place where trans people and gay mm -hmm. people and every other kind of gender orientation just came and skated and just skated magnificently. Yeah. And it was never replaced by anything. Yeah. 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 And, and, and that's where, yeah, that's where the movie where it seems like a conventional premise is actually, um, you know, it, if you think about it, it ends up being kind of a little subversive just in that it's not like they managed to communicate that this isn't like, as accidental a vanishing as it seems to be, you know, um, and without feeling like a film that's hitting you over, over the head with it. So it's, 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 I don't know. It's, it's Oh yeah. And they get gentrification in it. Oh yeah. That's why <laughs> right, the yeah. rink that lasted five years closed because the, 
you know, the la- the place was bought by someone who was going to build condos and office buildings. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And yeah, and then the skating sequences are, are, are great just because you, you feel the freedom. <laughs> you actually feel the freedom of movement as, as people, you know, and, and everyone has different styles. And, and that's great, too, because it's not this homogenized, you know, consumer society where you supposedly have more individualized choice, but really you're getting more homogenized. Um, and people, people skate in groups, but that's one of the things that the owners don't want. You know, it's just, it's just really, uh, I don't know, I found it really brilliant and, and, and beautiful. Um, as, as a film. And um, it's on, I think, HBO now. It is on HBO. So there's, yeah, yeah, you can see it on HBO Go. Um, and, and the music is, I like the music too. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's how United Skates fits in democracy because, yeah, in our discussion, I mean, just, you know, it's, it's partly, you know, the r- rallying community, but also just, it's, it's this open stage. It's a, it's a common space. It's a public common space. All these things that are so key to a, a democracy functioning that we always think are somehow going to be successfully reproduced, replicated, or simulated by some online version or some other version, but we're really just losing in many ways. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I was very... By the Hudson Yards. By the Hudson Yards. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, I mean, thinking of, like, you know, this, this skate rink as this common space, uh, one of the other movies that came up and, and brings us a bit back to um, defining something in opposition to something else uh, is facing the crowd where a kind of media space becomes more important than a democratic space and, and seeing those clash. Another movie also that's just so potent to watch now. Um, it's not as fresh in my mind. I don't know if it is for either of you right now, but... Um, semi. Semi, okay. <laughs> semi We can just drop, drop the, the titles <laughs> as, as a reference. Um, yeah. Um, I guess, you know, I... I Right. So, so I was thinking, you know, I was thinking about films like Face in the Crowd because, you know, I was, I was trying to think about sort of these fear of, fear of democracy movies, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, you know, of course, there's going back to Plato, right? The, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the foundational fears is that, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's always been present in democratic thought is that, um, you know, someone who is charismatic, but acting in bad faith, who is ignorant, who um, does not have the best interests of the community at heart in any way, um, who doesn't know anything, um, you know, would, would rise to power in some sense in a, because of his, um, and I, I will use the gendered pronoun, his, you know, theatrical presence. Um, so it, you know, need I even allude to obvious right. parallels, yeah. Um, yeah, the, but, you know, face of the crowd is, is, is about sort of about that, about that fear of, of the demagogue. Yeah. And the abuse of rhetoric mm-hmm. and the abuse yeah. of persuasion. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really, really true. I mean, it's funny that you, I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, that Lupita Nyong'o could be, you know, could have done Clytemnestra or some other great, I mean, it's, it's funny to think how those plays also were so wrapped up in, in like what a, being a just leader or just king would be. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's very key, key to that. Um, I, I have no idea how this conversation can come across. Like it's, it's, whatever it's going to sound like, you know, we're, we're zooming through a hundred movies, but it, they, they all seem to be breathing, uh, I don't know, these issues. But we're, we're sort of coming to where we would, would end. But um, did we, did we, we talked, to, we talked about Agnieszka Holland with, with Spore a bit. 
Um, but did, did, did we, we want to, oh, I, I guess I haven't done my, my yes. rant, which I was going to yeah. prepare, <laughs> yeah. I can, which seems very um, un, uncharacteristic. But I mean, we sort of informally were bringing, you know, particular movies or, or, or directors. Um, and the one that I was just going to talk about a bit was, was Frederick Wiseman, um, you know, also, you know, you know um, nonfiction filmmaker. Um, and just because in, you know, this huge multi-decade now, you know, going on 50, 50 year plus project of chronicling, you know, aspects of, of American public um, existence and institutional existence, but no longer even institutional and anymore. Um, and what, you know, on the one hand, it's like a very faithful project of showing what how the American democracy um, functions in, in different places, you know, whether it's high school, whether it's, you know, military training, um, you know, whether it's specialty schools for, for people with, you know, different sense disabilities, or whether it's Central Park in New York, or whether it's Monrovia, Illinois, uh, Monrovia, Indiana. Um, public library. Public library, right. The National Gallery, the ballet, and, you know, Heights. Jackson Heights. Um, <laughs> And so it seems like it's sort of just a, a mirror. And, and I've always thought a big joke of his films are the titles, which seem so bland. They sound like the, the you know, the, whatever, the one real things that would be shown in high schools, you know, or something um, for, for civics class. Films. So, yeah, yeah, educational yeah, yeah, films. Yeah. But, but there's more to it than, than that. I mean, especially with something like National Gallery or, you know, New York Public Library, Ex Libris, he's, he's I don't, I don't know if he would, he more would admit this more recently, I feel like, but he is also constructing a kind of idea of a possible democratic utopia. And, he, you know, he is sort of subtly putting forth certain ideals of, of how, how this could all work. <laughs> and Ex Libris especially, there's so much, I feel there's so much passion in there for ideas. And, you know, as he's just showing all the activities of the New York Public Library and that they're free and that people are coming to see them and they're talking about it. And in there, he gets to have all discussions about American history, and especially this extremely strange and interesting lecture about, um, you know, Civil War era and people who used to argue that actually slavery, <laughs> I, it's, I, I can't even recreate it, but it's about slavery and capitalism. And it sort of reworked my understanding of like American economic history. Um, but just this idea of like a public democratic space that he's, he's portraying through movies that can seem... Just sort of very simple. Oh, this is how a library works, or this is how that works. Um, but um, I think he's he's doing much more than that. And they're for me, they're just really vital movies and vital filmmaking that you know maybe get shortchanged a little because they don't seem as cinematic. Maybe you know maybe uh, as as other films. But yeah, for me, any any kind of discussion of like democracy on screen, Wiseman is always always topmost uh, in in my mind. That's that's a Nonfiction, fiction we can aspire to, I think. <laughs> but uh, any any final final thoughts, final words to to speak over the death of democracy <laughs> at the funeral? Well, I think actually your allusion to educational films is really interesting to me oh, yeah. because um, you know, and it makes me think of Bill Greaves um, and all of his all of oh. the educational films that he made. Huh. You know, which are also sort of about um, you know when whether they're about historical figures or you know about contemporary events. They're also, I think, trying to you know imagine what a you know how how cinema could contribute to the project of a more just 
best democratic mm. society. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, that there is something, um, you know, about a, like a pedagogical impulse in these mm. films, which I see, you know, in Lee's film too, that, you know, we usually take as a pejorative, but I think that uh, Wiseman certainly, and, and, and I think Lee and definitely Greaves, you know, are imagining, a, you know, a pedagogy that could be a dynamic contributor to this democratic process, right? Mm -hmm. That actually learning about history, about whatever is yeah. is is central to being a well-functioning democracy. Yeah. And and also the place of the artist in that democracy. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. that's like like a, a lot so many of Wiseman's recent films feel to me like that they're about being an artist in a democracy and how important that is and mm -hmm. and art and in mm -hmm. democracy. Um, so I guess we're all just justifying our existence here. <laughs> um, but Amy, any any last last thoughts on the democracy? Um, not really. I mean, it's it seems to me that beginning with the post Second World War, you have more and more films that are about the failure of democracy or democracy under threat. And if they're studio films, well, democracy in the end triumphs or at least makes a feeble comeback and we'll mm -hmm. have a future. Um, but that actually part of the mandate that the studios gave themselves from the time they became studios was they were going to show how great America was because mm. um, yeah. they were an economic engine and they were going to tell these audiences who, for the most part, knew as little as the people in uh, Peterloo. Mm. They were going to bring them into these theaters collectively and show them how lucky they were to be living in American democracy. Yeah. Yeah. And after the Second World War, that project began to come apart and the films became more and more about embattled democracy and mm. failing democracy. And yeah. I think that's where we are. Kind of stuck stuck in that in that point. Yeah, no, it's funny when we were talking about movies to discuss, <laughs> we were trying to figure out, no, we need to have movies that, you know, are, are you know, <laughs> where democracy succeeds. And uh, yeah, it is, it is hard uh, to find that. Um, but I will say that all of Steven Spielberg is about oh. the important right. project right. of democracy, <laughs> right, exactly. and right. we know that it will win out yes. in those movies. We absolutely know that. Yeah. But look, I mean, Spore and mm -hmm. Jessica Holland's Spore, and, mm -hmm. and Jessica Holland's Europa Europa, mm -hmm. uh, they end with the possibility that you could go somewhere else other than the place that you've nearly died for democracy, mm. and there would be this utopia. And she's very blatant about that. She says, you know, there would be no reason to make the movie if you couldn't give people just a glimmer of hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, I, you know, yeah. I think that leads us back to Varda, right? <laughs> Those are oh, such yeah. hopeful movies. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. Well, I'm all for ending on hope. So, so we'll, we'll conclude there. But thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. 
Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.